So whether you want to or not, Christmas comes around every single year. And one of the challenges is that on everybody's list probably in the room, there's at least one, if not more, uh, people that you have in your circle of influence who are hard to buy for. How many of you got a person who's hard to buy for uh, in your life? Listen, if you are that person, no one likes you, all right? Makes life hard, makes life stressful. And so, but uh, the question is always, what do you get for the person who seems to have everything? But here's what I want us to consider this morning. If a person has everything but does not know Jesus, then in fact, they have nothing. The Bible speaks this reality when it says this. What does it uh, gain a person, or what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer is no profit at all. And so on Christmas Eve, we'll focus our devotion time directly on uh, the birth of Christ. Uh, but this morning, uh, I want us to continue our series in the book of Acts. And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 10, all right? And uh, we're going to take a little intentional detour from the book of Acts, and uh, here's why. In our series, we've been learning about this idea of the movement going forward, and we are the movement that God wants to use. And what we've learned uh, for several weeks now is that uh, the gospel is going to go forth. Listen, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Persecution cannot shut it down is what we've learned in the book of Acts, and that's good news uh, for a fallen world. But what we've also learned, I hope, is that God in his sovereignty has chosen the church, the fellowship of believers, to be the conduit to carry that message forward. And so last week we talked about the danger of doing good and helpful things, philanthropy and those kind of things, but without sharing Christ on the back end of that. And so the lack of gospel-centered missions. We learned last week about the benefits of the gospel. I get my sins forgiven, I get to go to heaven, as opposed to the actual content of the gospel. We kind of walked through four Keywords last week and trying to articulate what is even the gospel. And uh, those four words are God, man, Christ, response. And so if you know those four words, you can communicate the actual gospel, not just the benefits of it, right? So God, man, Christ, response. Can you say that with me one time for practice? God, man, Christ, response. All right, that's terrible. One more time with Pentecostal power, all right? God, man, Christ, response. That is the gospel message. And so we've been walking through that. But here's why we're moving into Romans chapter 10 for a, for a one-week detour. If you understood uh, the theological difference between good deeds and missions, and if you can clearly articulate these four elements there of the gospel, listen, that, that's essential. But what I'm going to argue this morning is this, is that you can be theologically proficient and yet practically paralyzed when it comes to actually sharing the gospel with someone else. And so here's what I want us to accomplish this morning. I want us to be deeply convinced from Scripture that people, not organizations, are the means for missions. And I want to practically equip us on how to do that. And the reason we're doing this is twofold. One, it's the natural overflow. Part two, if you will, of last week's message. Hey, here's what missions is, and it's not these things. And here's the gospel so how do you take those truths and actually share it with someone so it's the natural overflow? And uh, secondly, because the next two weeks, you're going to be in all kinds of settings, in social settings, 
with people that you already have some sense of relationship with, and so there's some level of trust built in, and so I'm hoping that you're praying that God, over the next couple of weeks, in all these social environments you're going to be in with people you already know, that God would open up a door of opportunity that you might be able to share Christ with someone this Christmas, all right? And so let's look this morning at Romans chapter 10, and uh, we're going to be in verses 8 through 15. Beginning in verse 8, it says this, uh, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Listen to this. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And so the end goal, desire of communicating the gospel or gospel proclamation uh, is what verse 9 says, that people would confess and believe. And for a Christian, uh, there's no greater joy than to, to be a part of that process where God saves someone and somehow you got to be a part of that. Maybe you shared with them, maybe you uh, shared previously with them, whatever it is. But there's no doubt that I want to convince us from Romans 10 that we are the agents of communicating this message, all right? So I want to see two principles of that process here in Romans chapter 10, and I'm going to spend the last few minutes giving you a simple tool that we've, we've talked through one other time, but, but not often enough, all right? So two principles to embrace in these verses, all right? Number one, dare to declare. That's principle number one. Uh, does God use our good deeds to build a bridge to share the good news? Absolutely. We do good works to gain an audience for the good news. We're all about that. And so God uses your cookie sharing with your neighbors and your helpful things that you do to, to build a bridge or to give a platform. So we believe in that deeply demonstrating the gospel. Now, does God use prayer to plow up hard hearts? Uh, I would argue that from 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, that prayer, evangelistic prayer, is the most needed and most neglected at the same time aspect of involving yourself in missions and gospel sharing so so do good works and be diligent in evangelistic prayer but embrace this reality that missions has not occurred fully until the gospel is clearly declared and I'm all for demonstrating the gospel and I'm all for evangelistic prayer but at the end of the day if we stop there then if we're not careful we'll look back and say man two out of three is not bad right when it comes to declaring the gospel, that's kind of how we operate. We're, we're afraid, and so we, we kind of look and say, well, I got the first two down, but hopefully someone else will come along. And so, so here's a little formula. If you want to live out and be a part of the movement we've been teaching on, all right, so you should pray diligently, you should demonstrate practically, and you should declare clearly. Let me repeat that, all right? You should pray diligently, you should demonstrate practically, but you should declare clearly. And so the reality is uh, oftentimes those first two, we grab a hold of that and that last one, we're just like, oh, I get so nervous. 
I get so fearful. You know, what if I say the wrong thing? What if they ask a question? Uh, one writer's quipped this. He said, one thing that both believers and unbelievers have in common when it comes to evangelism is this. They both hate it, right? We don't want to do it. We're scared. People don't want to be evangelized. You know, they don't, may not want to hear that message. And so, but we cannot wrestle out from under the truths here in Romans chapter 10. Look at verse 14 and 15 again. What does it say? Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And then here it is. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Let me ask you a question this morning. Is there anything more gross than a pair of jacked up feet? You know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, listen, some people got medical issues and they can't help it, I understand. I'm talking about people who just neglect their hoofs. You know what I mean? Several months ago, maybe a year ago, I want to put up some sample pictures of some jacked up feet. But it's hard to preach when you throw up in your mouth, right? <laughs> Tasha came across this thing on Facebook, looking for recipes. One of our favorite uh, meals to eat at our house is meatloaf. The good news is it's not fattening. I, I eat it all the time, right? So... And it was this creation, and it was meatloaf in the shape of feet. And for the toenails were onion petals. And this person deemed this masterpiece feetloaf. Right? Hey, nope, right? Don't serve that this week, okay? Unless you hate your family, don't serve feetloaf. But in all seriousness, like... People's feet can be gross, but listen, in the economy of God, which is upside down, God looks and says, hey, the most beautiful feet are not the most manicured, it's the ones that carry the gospel to other people. What's he say? How beautiful are the feet of those who share the good news. Now, let me just dial in here for just a minute. Does God love me more when I share Jesus? No. Does God love me less when I don't share Jesus? No, listen, there's nothing you can do to diminish the love of God. There's nothing you ever do to increase God's love for you. That's why it's unconditional. And so he's not preaching, like, hey, I love you if you'll do this, you know, those things. What he's saying is, hey, if you want a, a beautiful way to spend your life, don't waste it on temporal things. If you want a beautiful way to, to not to waste your life, but to invest your life, Spend it using those feet to carry the good news to other people who've never heard of Jesus Christ. That is a life well lived. That is a beautiful life in the economy of God is what he's saying here in Romans chapter 10. Now, at this point in time, he says, how will they preach unless they're sent? And I hope at this point in the series, in the book of Acts, we've settled that issue that to, to be saved is to be sent. Remember the outline in Chapter 1, we start this series. Here's how the book of Acts lays out. Chapter 1, the Savior goes up. Chapter 2, the Spirit comes down. Chapter 3 and beyond, the church, us, goes out. So if you're saved, listen, you're sent. And so you have to be fully convinced that God has sent us and fully convinced in these verses that preaching, according to verse 14, preaching is the means through which people are saved. Now, upon hearing that, some of you are going, shh. For a minute there, I thought you were preaching to me, right? But thankfully, I'm not a preacher. I mean, I know some very handsome and wise ones, and you do. But, 
but I'm not, I'm not one of them. And so, thankfully, I'm, I'm not a preacher. And verse 14 says, how will they hear unless these people preach? Well, let's exegete this because I don't think that means what you think it means. And so the word preaching there in, in this verse 14, the original language, it means to announce. It's the idea of an imperial herald announcing news from the emperor. And so what would happen is the imperial herald uh, would speak directly to the public, but he only could speak the exact words of the emperor. He wasn't to go out there and ad-lib and say, well, here's a few announcements and here's some things and I got a couple things on my heart. He wasn't allowed to do that. The only thing the herald, imperial herald could do was to say, hey, here's a decree from the emperor. You can add to it or change it and it's your job to go out here and speak on behalf of of the emperor as the herald. And so that's exactly what, what verse 14 is talking about. He's not talking about the office of a pastor. He's saying, hey, you have a responsibility to make an announcement as a herald communicating the message of our King Jesus. And so this is for all of us. And so we should demonstrate the gospel in practical ways. We should plow up hearts with prayer. But at the end of the day, you have to dare to declare. How will they believe unless someone preaches or announces the good news? And so, first truth I want you to settle in this morning is that God uses us to declare or communicate the gospel, not just pastors. The second thing I want you to see uh, in verse or chapter 10 is this, is that if you're going to do this, you're going to have to see people with different eyes. I'm just guessing that in every family, as you get together over the next couple of weeks, that uh, in every family, there's at least one, maybe more than one, Cousin Eddie. You know what I'm talking about? And if you're like, I don't know what that reference is, then I just, I hate to share this, you're not going to heaven, all right? You know, and if you don't think, well, I don't think there is in our family, but it's you. I just, it's you. But here's what this passage is teaching. That every person is not the sum total of their faults or the sum total of their irritating attributes. That every person is a potential resident in the kingdom of God. God's offer of salvation is open to anyone who will believe. Go back to verse 13. What does it say in chapter 10, verse 13? It describes it this way. It says, for everyone... No exemptions, no exclusions. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I'm deeply convinced the Bible does not teach double predestination, which is a big theological word meaning that God created certain people to go to hell. But I'm also deeply convinced that while the gospel is sufficient for all, it's only efficient for those who choose to believe. But here's the good news. The atoning work of the cross is unlimited in its scope. And so every person you come into contact with, guess what? They, they may be annoying, they may be hard to love, they may be difficult, they may be unloving, they may be cranky, they may be ungrateful, they may be all those things, but you and I have to approach these gatherings and, and reconcile this truth in verse 13, that under the, the word in the old King James is the word, not everyone, it's whosoever. And so what he's saying is, hey, every person that you come into contact with is a whosoever worthy of the good news of Jesus Christ made in the image of God and, and maybe unloving and, and maybe ungrateful and maybe annoying and maybe all those things and abrasive and all those things but at the end of the day made in the image of God inherently have value and a potential 
resident in the kingdom of heaven, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to see these people with new eyes. And let me just be transparent. That's hard. Am I right? Like when you approach some of these family gatherings, you're like, oh. I told Tasha one year, like, listen, my, fa- my family get jacked up just like yours, all right? I told Tasha one year, I said, hey, tell folks I'm not going to be able to make it because I passed away. Just keep that a secret, right? <laughs> I get it. I'm guilty. But what he's saying in verse 13 is, hey, every single one of those people, Christ gave his life. Or I've got a friend, he said, he goes, I got deeply uh, convicted about my road rage. He said, it's hard to uh, you know, be listening to praise music in your car and then uh, screaming at other drivers on the road. And I said, well, how did you get rid of that? He said, he said, well, I'm not quite there yet. He said, but here's what I've done as a stopgap in the meantime. He said, every time I, someone makes me furious, right? No one can make you angry, by the way, but that's what he said. He said this. He said, I just smack the horn and yell out as loud as I can. You immortal soul from whom Christ died for. <laughs> and listen, my guess is, the next couple of weeks, you're going to come into contact with some people, and that's the only good thing you can think about them, right? That's it. You know what? We have to reframe our hearts and our eyes and all that. According to verse 13, when you come into contact with those folks, you've got to look at them and say, you're this, you're that, you're those things. You know what? You've got to rebrand it. You've got to give them a new name. You know what the new name is? Whosoever. Someone worthy of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, when we're heading into this week, uh, we're tempted to, to keep, keep the peace, right? When we get together, we don't, you know, don't talk politics, we don't talk religion, but listen, can I, can I just share with you, here's the good news, Jesus is neither of those things. And if you think he is one of those things, I would encourage you to get to know him better. And so at this time, uh, one of the temptations is to get together and... Uh, Practice what one podcaster calls quiet Christianity. Here's what he said. It's so insightful. He said, moral and spiritual silence of the saints is one of the leading contributors to the state of our world. And so listen, if there's ever a time, you're going to come in contact with lots of people. It's the next couple of weeks. If there's ever a time that everyone, whether a practicing believer or not, is at least culturally focused on Jesus and his birth, it's the next couple of weeks. And so we have this responsibility to declare the gospel and view everyone as a potential whosoever in the kingdom of God. Now, here's, here's why, we don't, why we don't do that. Let me just be honest. Now, I, I'm fully convinced. When I first started preaching, uh, I'd preach sermons like this, and I thought, you know, the, the sermon's successful if people leave really guilty, right? Like, you don't care about people going to hell. I was 25 years old. I mean, like, you know, nobody should have hired me. Let's just be honest. Right? And then and I would say things like this. And if you're serious, show up here Tuesday night for soul winning visitation. In a church of 150 people, 50 people show up. Six weeks later, me and one deacon, right? And he was deaf. And so I don't know, I don't know what that was about. But, but I don't believe that anymore. I believe this, that everybody in the room says, oh man, it would be the greatest Christmas ever if God providentially opened a door 
where I could share Jesus with someone else. Like, I, I'd be thrilled if that happened. I got friends and family and extended family who don't know Jesus Christ, and if God did that, uh, I'd be thrilled. And so why don't we do that? Let's just be honest. It's because we're afraid. We're afraid of the conflict, potentially. Uh, we're afraid of uh, being rejected. We're afraid of getting into an argument at worst, or maybe just creating an awkward social dynamic at best. Afraid of not, not clearly knowing how to communicate the gospel, and I'm going to help you that here in just a second. And so let me just share with you, like, I, listen, I've shared the gospel with lots of people, lots of people, lots of people. Can I just tell you this? Multiple times, still this day, there are times when, when I get scared. And most of the time, most of the time, I could out-debate the person if, if I needed to. Right? Not all the time, but most of the time. And in those moments, it still doesn't help me. You know why? Because I want to be liked. Right? I'm like you. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to get caught. I want to be liked, and I don't want to create awkward situations. So, so sometimes, or, or I think, oh, this is the wrong time, or I've talked myself out. I get scared. And so here's what I've wrestled with person I'm going to encourage you to wrestle with. The answer is not to get rid of fear. The answer is to move forward in faith, believing that God saves and the Holy Spirit draws and Jesus is sufficient in spite of my fear. Listen, if there was no fear involved, you wouldn't need to exercise faith over that fear. Now, but fear can be paralyzing. And so you got, you got a couple options. How do you wrestle with that? You just grit your teeth like, I'm not going to be scared. I'm not, you know, I'm not afraid to get all worked up and you come on way too strong. Hey, I... I noticed you were there looking at the zucchini. I just want to know if you know you're going to hell. <laughs> right. Bad idea. Don't write that down. Bad idea. Listen, the answer is not to get all worked up and push our fear. Listen, the answer is to ask God to grow our love for people. Now you think, well, that sounds kind of cliche. Actually, it's biblical. Here's what the Bible says. Perfect love casts out fear. And so the goal is not, not to decrease my fear. The goal is to say, God, grow my heart for people who are far from you so that my love for them is so great that perfect love casts out fear. That's the answer to that. And that's why you should love someone. Why? Because they're hard love. Because of verse 13. That whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord, the most annoying critical, hard-to-love person and you're going to come into contact with in the next couple of weeks is a whosoever. And between now and then, we should be asking God, grow my love for that person because they're hard to love. And so if I'm going to love them and share the love of Christ, you're going to have to grow my heart. The overflow will be that. Now, at this point, listen, we should all be ready to charge hell or the holidays with a squirt gun, Right? Like just go in there with gospel guns blazing. But I'm fully convinced that, here's the reality, uh, it, it's super helpful if you've got some tools in your missionary toolbox. And so, so here's somebody the last few minutes uh, together. I'm, I'm just going to walk you through a practical tool. Because I can preach this and you can be convinced, I've got to declare the gospel. It's in verse 14 and 15. I can't wiggle out from that preaching verse in verse 14. That's for all of us. I got, I'm deeply convinced in verse 13 that, that Christ died for everyone, even that person that's hard to love or hard to be around. Christ died. You can believe all those things theologically and be paralyzed practically if you don't have some kind of practical tool on how to share 
the gospel. And so I'm going to walk you through this little tool. I, I shared this about three years ago for about two minutes in one sermon. I've done a terrible job keeping in front of people and equipping people, so we're going to do a better job uh, in the next year. So let me just walk you through this. And, and here's why this is such a good tool. I think we all agree the hardest thing is to turn an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation, right? Like I've told you some of the things when I first started getting training and evangelism, uh, there's all kinds of dumb stuff like, you know, uh, my favorite is probably if you're at, someone's in front of you at the water fountain taking a drink, you, you should lean up into their ear and say, if you drink from Jesus, you'll never get thirsty again. Listen, not winsome, weird. That's what that is, right? And so the reason I love this tool is the starting point into the gospel conversation is brokenness. And can I just share with you this? We're living in a moment in culture where we are not in short supply of brokenness. All kinds of people experiencing brokenness, all kinds of people experiencing hopelessness, all kinds of people experiencing despondency and even flat out despair or depression. And I promise you that in your gatherings over the next couple of weeks with your family, extended family, your friends, I promise you that at some point someone is going to express some brokenness that they're experiencing or some brokenness in the world that they're grieved about. And so there's going to be a natural, we live in a fallen world, everything's broken. And it's heightened right now. And so the entry point is brokenness. So let me just walk through this tool. You can write this in your Bible, write on your notes, write, write somewhere. Like, I don't care, just write this down somewhere. We've got to do a better job of helping you with this. All right, so, so here's, here's the reality. Uh, when, when someone expresses some kind of brokenness, you know what I can say with them? I can agree with them. Hey, we live in a fallen world. Life is hard. We live in a fallen world. But did you know this? That was never God's design. That was never God's design. And so when we look through this little, simple tool, listen, you can communicate the gospel clearly. But God should open up a door opportunity, drawing three, literally drawing three circles, that's it. And so when someone speaks about brokenness, listen, put your antennas up. Be listening for stories of brokenness over the next two weeks. In their life, in the world in general, it doesn't matter. And when you hear someone express something about brokenness, your antenna should be up. And the first thing you do is say, hey, I, I agree. We live in a fallen world, don't we? And nobody's going to go, actually, I think it's perfect. <laughs> right? If they say that, then you should like, just move on because they've hit the eggnog too hard. You know what I mean? Too much Christmas cheer. And you can just say, hey, you know what? That was never God's design from the beginning. That was never God's design from the So the first little circle you can draw is, hey, God has a better design for this broken world. But the problem is this, is what happened is sin entered in because of that. And because of that sin, we all individually and the whole world experience brokenness. And those little arrows going out are, listen, it's all kinds of the ways we try to cope with brokenness. Sometimes it's a better career. Sometimes it's more, you know, more, more pleasurable activities. Sometimes it's making money. Sometimes it's building a reputation or status. Sometimes it's some fulfilling. So all these things that we try to fix our brokenness with don't ever actually solve the problem. But here's the good news. From our brokenness, 
God gave us the gospel. And the gospel is God's answer to our brokenness, not these other things that we try. That Christ came, well, he celebrate Christmas, lived a perfect life, never once varied from God's design, and gave himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, was buried and rose the third day so that a broken world one day could be made right again. And so how do we connect, get back to God's original design? Well, here's the good news. The Bible gives us the answer out of our brokenness, and it's this. You've got to repent and believe. You've got to turn away from sin and self-righteousness. You've got to turn away from trying to find an answer to your brokenness in something other than Jesus. And then you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to the brokenness in my life, in your life, and in the whole world. That is the good news of the gospel. And here's the best part. When you receive him as the answer for your brokenness, guess what? You can once again pursue God's design for your life again. And so that's what you can connect them back to that third. You can recover God's original design for your life and pursue a life that God had originally designed filled with God's blessings. Folks, that took about four minutes. And in four minutes, using three little circles using the springboard of brokenness that we all understand, believers and unbelievers. On a napkin, you can communicate the good news of Jesus Christ with someone in the next two weeks, in about three or four minutes, without arguing, without debating, without trying to come with some awkward conversation. You're listening for brokenness. You just tell them, hey, I agree. But you know what? That was never God's design. And then you're right into it. And so the reason we're taking this detour today is simply this. Is over the next two weeks, you're going to be around more people who you already know and who already trust you than you may be cumulatively the rest of the year. And I want you to be equipped for that moment. Because for the person who seems to have everything... If they don't have Jesus, then in fact, they have nothing. And how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the good news to those people. He really is the greatest gift anyone will ever receive. Let's be generous this Christmas. Would you bow your heads right now? I'm going to do two things. Number one, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then right now, right in your seat, right where you're sitting, you can receive Jesus Christ. When I went through that little diagram about broken world and trying to fix it, maybe you, maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you identified with that and say, wow, that's me. I feel that brokenness, and I've been trying all kinds of things to find an answer, and I just realized that nothing else can fix my brokenness because only Jesus was meant to do that. If that's you this morning, then guess what? If you'll repent of your sins and your self-righteousness, and if you'll believe that 
Jesus Christ died on the cross. His payment for your sins was buried and rose the third day. And you'll receive him by faith for the forgiveness of your sins. Then guess what? You can be saved right now, right where you're sitting. Would you just pray? Confess your sins? Tell God the desire to turn from it. And would you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of your sins? Would you do that right now? You're not here by accident. Would you pray and receive Christ right now if you've never done that? Many of you in the room, you walk with Christ for a long time. And I'm going to ask you to do something that, quite frankly, is a little scary. I'm going to ask you to pray right now and to ask God. God, over the next two weeks, give me an open door to share Jesus with and I just want you to fill in their name or their names of the people that you're going to see in the next two weeks who don't know Jesus Christ it may be friends, it may be immediate family it may be extended family would you just pray right now and say God help me in the busyness of this season to see them as a whosoever you pray right now and say, God, in all the hustle and bustle of entertaining people, don't let me get so hurried that when someone shares a testimony of brokenness, I don't, I miss you at work in that moment. So would you pray that right now? God, I'm available. Use me open up a door for me to share Jesus with you pray for their name or their names right now what a Christmas celebration that would be to share the gospel to share the true message of Christmas this year so pray right now towards that end God I'm so humbled sovereignty you would choose me to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ and God I don't have to be winsome or clever or smarter I just have to be available and so God for all of us in the room me included help us this year in the busiest season of the whole calendar not be so rushed and so hurried that we forget about Christ and his wonderful message and those that need to hear it. So God, right now, grow our love for these people so that our perfect love produced in us through you would cast aside the fear that often holds us back. And so Lord, use us. In spite of our inadequacies, in spite of our weakness, in spite of the simplicity of a simple little tool of three circles, God, you save people. The Holy Spirit draws and we're just your messengers. So God, we pray this Christmas season you would use us for all the whosoever's. 
mind is faithful. We pray in Jesus' name.